week of October 24th, 2021. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 559, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And on the HMS Jack D, I'm Michael Giltz. What is the HMS Jack D? Ah, my, brother bought, my brother bought a new boat. Just got it down in Miami. So uh, I guess this show isn't really a, a... We don't do video, do we yet? No, no, we don't do video. So I guess the fact that I'm rocking back and forth with the swells of the sea doesn't really make... Doesn't really work for the people listening to this on audio, does it? No, no, it barely works for me, and I can see you. <laughs> uh, for those of you who don't know, we can see each other now, and have been able to do that for a, about a year now, uh, which is new, thanks to Squadcast, the the technology we use to record uh, each episode. But uh, yeah. And the uh, technology I, I did, you use is new and improved. Congrats, Sperling, on your new computer. A big tech guy, and yet for some reason, Sperling likes to hold on to his tech until he squeezed every ounce of life out of it. An 11-year-old Mac, and I'm going, why haven't you bought a new computer? Driving me nuts. Well, you know, it's one of those things where uh, the cobbler's kids, you know, they always have the worst shoes kind of mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, mm-hmm. I'm t- you know, I cover uh, motion picture exhibition movie theaters. And as everybody knows, movie theater owners like to hold on to their equipment, their cinema equipment, as long as they possibly can. They will put Band-Aids across their projectors if that's what it will <laughs> take. They'll put chewing gum and cotton candy and into in, into different pieces of the equipment if it can prolong the life for another three weeks or a year. And that's what you did with your computer. But eventually the fax yeah, machine, I, the, yeah, <laughs> you the, know, I did find out cotton candy in my computer, not a good combo. Not so good. So we're doing this on a brand new computer. Very exciting. What are we going to talk about this week? Uh, computers. No, actually just kidding. This week on showbiz sandbox, we've got the better every minute box office numbers on Dune, so that that's going well. But did it dig up enough spice to guarantee a sequel? Do you see what I did there? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm enticing yeah, yeah, yeah. people to go see it because it's a movie Keep about going. spice Keep harvesting going. on other. Okay. Uh, speaking of numbers, we've got a new streamer that's working with Nielsen to get its TV viewing reported on that company's charts, and of course, Netflix suggests it will start embracing the total numbers watched metric that nielsen has been using for what about a well who knows how long you know maybe nielsen's not dead after all on inside baseball we will look at the iatsi deal for the new contract and where workers stand on it right now in a story we consider related and iatsi considers related that's for sure we'll also take a look at the dreadful firearms accident on the set of the film rust that left the, the cinematographer dead and the director being was seriously injured How are these two things related? We'll explain. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. And no, we won't, because actually nothing happened this week. But first, as always, we're going to turn it over to you, Michael, entertainment journalist extraordinaire, to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to ComScore in our show notes. We also pull information from everywhere else. And the biggest movie in the world is Dune which is playing in theaters around the world. People are flocking to see it in IMAX, and yet it is also available on HBO and HBO Max. Does that make any sense? Uh, I don't think so. But it made 90... Not at all. It's it's such a bad idea, and here's why. That is one of those movies where, you know what? You know people are going to be talking about it, and should you go see it? You know, it's one of those movies that might get people who only go once or twice or three times a year to the movies to actually come out 
and go see that movie. But Even not when not I can sure. press a button sitting on my couch. Correct. Correct. So that movie probably lost a good 10 to $15 million in opening weekend box office, specifically because it's on it's on HBO Max. Talk about a number you just made up. <laughs> well, no, I mean, they're, they're actually, so they, they have, they, the, uh, Comscore and the like have said, look, it's roughly about eight to 15 million that each film is losing minimum. But it depends on, on the film and where it's available and correct. how easily. Yeah, no, that's, that's nutty. They have no idea. So Dune made $92 million this week. It's at $220 million worldwide. You do want to see it on IMAX and I do. So I'm waiting till I can see it when the theater isn't so full. And the only screening available is at 10 at night. Cause I don't want to get out at two in the morning. It's also two hours and 35 minutes long but I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's a spectacle, and I really did love Blade Runner 2049. So that's the biggest movie around the world. It cost about $165 million to make. Obviously, a big ad campaign. Obviously, sitting on the shelf costs money. This movie has been delayed for quite a while. So when we say that $500 million worldwide would mean, hey, it's in profitability just from box office alone, those those numbers are thrown out the window when it's on HBO Max the same day and how much the, the studio can value it. But if it can hold on, and its opening in China was modest. It made about $20 million. It was good. It wasn't an embarrassment. But they're not predicting a huge hold or that it's going to have great legs in China. But if it can hold on and get to four to $500 million, then it's going to pre- pretty much triple its budget and be a winner by any standard. So... You know, this looks like a movie that could get the second half of the film actually made. There will certainly be another James Bond film. No Time to Die made another $78 million this week. It's at $525 million worldwide. It's also a theatrical exclusive. Venom. Now, did you want to actually mention the, the part about Dune where I, you know, all the IMAX records that it broke? Oh, the, oh sure. Not, not the, so, I mean, I mean, you know, the biggest October global IMAX, that's such an obscure record. I don't really care that much about it. But it, it definitely is a movie that people who are going to the theater want to see it on IMAX. Not in 3D, but on IMAX. Yeah, well, I can tell you that uh, I really hope they make the second, the second uh, half of the film. Of course, it was a book by Frank Herbert, that they chopped in half and made the first half of the book. And the best part of the book, the best, you know, all the action in the army, you know, the, the battles and everything, that comes in the second half. So the second movie should be much better, you know, much faster paced. That's true. Uh, so No Time to Die is at over half a billion dollars worldwide. Venom, Let There Be Carnage, directed by Andy Serkis, another $68 million, $350 million worldwide. And then in China, the battle at Lake Chongjin made another $61 million. They kept saying, well, I don't think it'll get this high. I don't think it'll get that high. But the movie's been just barreling along. It's now at $830 million worldwide. Once we adjust for inflation, it looks like it's going to pass High Mom to be the biggest grossing movie of the year and could challenge Wolf Warrior 2 to be the biggest movie of all time. Look, it's still going very, very strong. Now, Halloween. when you say the biggest movie of all time, you mean the biggest Chinese, Chinese movie? movie. Uh, and yes, I beg your yeah. pardon. The biggest China movie. Thank you for correcting me. Uh, Halloween Kills, another $35 million this week, $91 million worldwide. It's on Peacock day and date. Now, here's another new movie, the first new movie on our chart. It's Ron's Gone Wrong. It's an animated sci-fi flick. Uh, Zach Galifianakis, does he do a voice in it? I forget who's in this movie. Uh, there's a lot of voice actors. It made $17 million on its opening week. So an okay opening, but not great buzz on that one. The Addams Family 2, however, is another animated film. It's 
Halloween time. The Halloween stuff is up all over the place. Uh, next week will be Halloween. So you figure it's going to fall off the chart after next week or, you know, or this weekend. It made $12 million this week. It's at $71 million worldwide. It's available premium video on demand. So you can pay 20 bucks and start watching it at home right now. Nowhere near as much as the original, but the original only cost $24 million to make in its budget. If this one is similar, it's already, you know, doing well. It's tripled its budget. So not the heights it might have hit in normal times, but good enough to say there will probably be an Adams Family 3. Now, if your movie is called The Last Duel, I guess it's built in the idea that um, maybe you can make a prequel, The First Duel. <laughs> but this serious drama from Ridley Scott and starring uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, it made $9 million this week. An okay hold. It's at $18 million worldwide. Adults are not really turning out for a lot of movies. They will get to one that they did show up for later down in the show. But The Last Duel, not a big winner. It probably costs at least $100 million to make. Would it have done better in normal times? I doubt it. Didn't have great reviews. Polite reviews, I think, is the way to describe it. So it just feels like it just didn't click. Back in China, my country, my parents, it's a uh, collection of shorts celebrating the country and the people of it. $8 million this week. That's at $218 million worldwide. And then there's Free Guy made another $5 million. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings made $4 million. Boss Baby, the family business, that's in some new territory. That made $4 million. And then here at the bottom of our chart, is The French Dispatch, the new film from Wes Anderson that the studio behind it said, if Wes, if Wes builds it, people will come because this movie finally turned on the lights in the art house world. Yes, we've had some other movies that have succeeded, but this movie has set a record for the pandemic in its per screen average. It's only on 50 screens and made $25,000 per screen. Angelica was jammed over the weekend. I hope you all wore your masks. It made $1 million this week just from 50 screens. That's pretty great anytime. It's a solid opening for an art house film, you know, very positive and encouraging. And in this context, it's just great. And what a week for Timothy Chalamet. Dune, the biggest movie in the world, and then The French Dispatch, the biggest movie in the art house world. So that's that's the way to build a career. Yeah, and so a couple things. Uh, I think Raul Briel uh, reached out to us, and he's one of our listeners. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was about Dear Evan Hansen being available on Microsoft, something we mentioned last week. Uh, is, it, is that and- not true? Uh, no, it is. It oh, totally okay. is. Uh, we mentioned it last week. And now this is a movie that had not been out for 30 days yet. And yet it was already uh, available on, uh, you know, on, on Microsoft for $19.99 here in the U.S. Uh, and you, you have 14 days to start watching after you rent it. So it's a, just a rental. It's $20 to rent. Oh, uh, there, are, there are a number of, mo- of so movies. It's a premium like video on demand, yeah. So that's, yeah, and, uh, that was last week we referred to Venom, Let There Be Carnage. That is $28 to buy on Microsoft. Oh, so okay. That's, you can purchase Venom, Let There Be uh, Carnage. Dear Evan Hansen is available to rent on a number of sites. It's premium video on demand for $20. So that's a rental for $20 on all sorts of services. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Vudu, uh, Google Play, DirecTV, and so on. So that's a classic premium video on demand. Venom, Let There Be Carnage is a sell-through title. $28, you can buy it right now, but only at Microsoft. And I think it's a pre-order right now for $20. Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Well, I'm looking at the uh, thing right now that says it's $28 to buy, but maybe it's it's just a pre-order. 
So that's what I got wrong. I should have noted that you can't actually start to watch it yet. You can only just say, do I want to buy it? Is that what you're telling me? I think so, yeah. Okay, well, uh, so $20 to purchase, but in advance. So that's not quite the same as being available. So we appreciate him pointing that out. Boy, if other people have things they want to tell us that we've gotten wrong, we love to correct ourselves. Uh, reach out. Let us know. Yes, you can write to us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-7263. That's 888-567-7263. And please, you know, I'm going to, you know, kind of summon my, my, myself from the twenties. Please call, please call. Um, that was a, a, you know, (laughs) A joke. You can laugh later. Um, okay. uh, we're also on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle, or we're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can find our page. And good news. Uh, one more box office note. Good news for people who are in the Punjabi region uh, of India and the Punjabi diaspora. They have one of their biggest hits of all time. It's the film Hansla Rock, all translated as Keep Up Your Spirits. This movie is set in Canada, and it's about a divorced dad raising his son. Now, in the pictures I've seen, it looks like the kid is a baby, but in all the descriptions, it says he's seven years old and the little boy is adorable. But in any case, this movie is playing in North America and around the world. It's made $2 million in North America so far, $4.4 million worldwide. It's one of the 10 highest grossing Punjabi language films of all time at $4.4 million. So that's pretty awesome to see. Maybe. You know, something else I, sh- I should mention is that uh, in China, there's a whole region where uh, theaters are closed. They, oh, yeah, they had, a, like a, they had some breakouts and they locked down a number of, uh, of territories. That's, that's true. Yeah, and that's happening all the time in China. They're not messing around. If, if there's any breakout at all, they just shut everything down and say, go home. Right. So, yeah, that, yeah. that affects the box office. Uh, did that impact Dune? Of course it did. I'm sure it must have. But, but yeah, that's just part of the world that we live in right now. But uh, in Punjab, they're making movies. And Castle Rock, they're making movies too, aren't they? Yes, they are. They got $175 million to do so. So in today's money, that would mean you could make half a movie. So, hey, they should, they should actually fund Dune. They maybe, could fund maybe, the second half of Dune. Maybe Alan Horn will be back there getting to work. You know, he's available. Yeah, that's true. And that's where he started. Well, not that's started, not where he started, where he started but, yeah. but that's yeah. one of his great locations. That's true. And speaking of somebody who's been at it for a long time, Mel Brooks, with remakes, reboots, and so on, somebody is making History of the World Part 2. <laughs> History of the World is actually the first R-rated movie I saw in a theater. I was about 14. Me and another kid went to the movie theaters on our bikes. We wanted to see History of the World. He's, he was very nervous. I was not a cool kid who broke the rules all the time, but he was very nervous about trying to get into the R-rated movie. We didn't, at the time, think about just buying a ticket to another movie and then going into the different theater. We actually asked for that movie, and we just showed up, and... <laughs> He, he, he bought his ticket. He's going to have one for history of the world. And then I asked for one kid for history of the world. Like, like I should get the kid's price. You're supposed to be an adult unless you're with an adult. I'm 14. I look seven. 
maybe. And the woman <laughs> just looked at me for a second and was like, oh, she, gave me the, she didn't care. We went to see History of the World Part 1. And so at the end of that movie, they have a teaser for History of the World Part 2, this joke trailer about what would be in the next film, like Jews in space. And they have a star of David flying through space, and they're dancing around to Havana Gila, I think, or something like that. But maybe that'll be in the movie. But good Lord, Mel Brooks, 127 years old, and he's still going strong. Well, did you see he did, uh, you know, his his son Max Brooks wrote uh, the book, I think, for... No, no they worked, they, he has a new memoir out. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, he has a new memoir. Maybe he and his son did it together. But yeah, he 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 has a new memoir about his life, or his first memoir. There was a bio about him that just came out uh, last year, which I have not read. But his new book is called All About Me. That just came out. Uh, well, it's not out yet. It's out November 30th. Uh, it's not credited to anybody else. It just says, My Remarkable Life in Showbiz, Mel Brooks. There's no as told to or anything like that. Nobody else is credited on the cover. No, no, no. I was just talking about during COVID, uh, you know, they, they were apart, but they literally, Max Brooks would go over to Mel Brooks' house and they would talk to each other through the window. Oh, yes, <laughs> of course. Oh, yeah. They filmed that. <laughs> it's like that he was trapped inside. They like made a joke out of it. It was actually, they were very funny. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, no, that was cute. Yeah. And Mel Brooks is 95, the same age as the Queen. But look at that slacker. She's staying at home lately and using a cane. <laughs> but Mel Brooks <laughs> has got a bio out and he's got a new movie, Ben Greenlit. That's going to be on streaming, of course. And speaking of streaming, we have some interesting news in that world. Every week when we get the numbers, we like to report on the streaming numbers. They take about a month to get to us, and I'm not sure why. We've tried to reach out and we almost had somebody come on the air to talk about Nielsen and what they're doing and how they approach it and what they'd love to do in a perfect world and how it's going. Uh, we support their effort because we want third-party companies to be verifying these results and using good metrics that everybody has to measure up to. But uh, we haven't gotten anyone on the show yet. But looking at the week, September 20th, September 26th, we've got a new show on the original series list. It's Ted Lasso. And why is that finally well, appearing on the this? charts? What, 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 what show is this? Ted Lasso. Let me look this up. <laughs> Let me, oh, Ted Lasso. It this has nothing is, to do with the... It's not a this, Western. This is the first... Very funny. This is the first time this movie, this TV show, has appeared on the list because Apple was not a part of this program. And some of the numbers Nielsen gets are without the cooperation of the people. Other times that's not possible, but they are working with Apple now. So Nielsen will now be reporting on Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Hulu, Netflix, and Apple. HBO Max, calling HBO Max. So these are streaming numbers from North America only. They don't cover stuff that people watch on their laptops or their phone and stuff like that. And it's U.S. only, or maybe not even North America. Maybe it's just the U.S. only. But it's the numbers that we have. And, of course, Squid Game. Last week, when we're looking at September 13th, Squid Game didn't even make the top 10. Whatever it started out with, it was a sort of a modest number, like 250 million streaming uh, minutes were watched that first week. And then week two, yeah, I'm sorry, 206 minutes. That's how many minutes were watched the week before. And then its second week available, apparently the word of mouth was extraordinary. It blew up to 1.9 billion minutes viewed. This is just a phenomenon that just began catching fire September 20th. So a month ago, this is when people started watching this show in earnest. And it has, of course, become a massive hit all over the world. A great big out-of-the-box hit. The fact that it's in another language and blew up so quickly in North America is kind of mind-blowing, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I heard I was uh, in a 
restaurant uh, sitting outside, by the way. Uh, and I heard a whole bunch of uh, like the table, uh, like three tables down because they they split the tables up so that we're all distant, uh, was talking about uh, how they're not going to watch Squid Game. They already saw Hunger Games. It's just Hunger Games, but in a different language. They don't need to see it again. Uh, you know, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen it yet, but I think it's a little bit more than Hunger Games. I and don't know. Hunger Games Maybe. wasn't original anyway. There were other stuff that did that before. So, you know, chillax. Yeah. <laughs> Hunger oh, Games right. was not the original prop. You know, it was a clever spin on an idea that's always been around, you know, people uh, vying with each other. So, yeah. And it's not kids. So anyway. But yeah. Uh, and the big news in acquired series, those are original series that begin with Squid Game and include Lucifer and Sex Education's having another great season. Uh, I have not watched that show yet. Midnight Mass is doing well. And then at number five is Ted Lasso. When you switch over, to, oh, and it was the season finale of Only Murders in the Building on Hulu. When you switch over to acquired series, I think for the first time, the number one show among acquired series means properties that they've just picked up and paid for, licensed for, like Criminal Minds and Grey's Anatomy and stuff like that. The number one property is Coco Melon. And if you have like a little preschool kid, you probably know what that is. It's this Netflix begun, I think, series of little shorts for little kids to watch. I haven't watched it. I don't know nothing about it, but it's been in the top 10 constantly. And it's a huge, huge property. And now it's the number one acquired series. And most people watched that last week than anything else. It just keeps being really, really popular. So you've got Apple's Ted Lasso, Hulu's Only Murder in the Building, and Disney's The Simpsons. Those are the only three properties on both lists. There's 20 shows in all, and only three of them are not being carried by Netflix. Netflix either originated the stuff or it has acquired and licensed it. So, you know, that's where the action is. Netflix, Netflix. And that studio says it will start reporting on total minutes watched of their programming. Right now, all Netflix will tell us is, yes, 400 gazillion people watched at least a minute of our Trust show. Trust us. Trust and us. A, trust us, and B, they watched a minute. Like, well, how many of them watched the entire episode? Or how many of them watched the whole series? Uh, none of your business. <laughs> so total minutes watched is actually a very telling number. And, of course, by that standard, Squid Game, if this is accurate, just from the streaming numbers alone, not counting people who watched it on their laptops and phones, not counting the people watching it in the rest of the world, it's more than twice as big as the second biggest show. So, you know, that's a number they're ready to tout. You know, I actually, uh, the National Association of Theater Owners, I know that this is kind of circling back a little bit, but, uh, you know, all these, these minutes watched, right? Like, oh, minutes watched and all these people watched it and which devices did they watch it on? And the National Association of Theater Owners, I think it was a tweet they tweeted out or maybe, I I can't remember, but I saw it. Somebody was watching Dune on their Apple watch and the, (laughs) the, 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 the caption was, well, at least they got the aspect ratio, right? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, if only uh, we had the tickets sold metric, that's what we would love for theaters all over the world. And if we could go back in time, we'd have it from the 20s going forward. Tickets sold. That, that would be a big deal. Standard. That would be. But one more. OK, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. OK, it is a big deal, a big whoop. That's our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. I love this segment. Sperling, what's our first story? I really need sound effects here so that I could actually press the crickets button and then we could hear crickets. That would be, that would be. We we didn't plan this. We didn't say let's not have a big deal, a big whoop this week, 
It's not like stuff didn't happen, but for whatever reason, nothing made the cut where one or both of us said, yeah, that needs to go in big deal. Yeah, that needs, we usually end up with three, five, seven, nine stuff. And I move stuff around and say, let's combine this and make it into an inside baseball or our features. Nothing. I went to look and say, well, what I got right notes about. And I said, oh my God, it's empty. (laughs) Yes. Nothing here this week. Wow. But that's because we've been in major turmoil, both in a massive contract negotiation and in a terrible tragedy that happened on set, which everybody, of course, listening to this podcast is well aware of, as is my mother and everybody on the planet, probably. But that takes us to Inside Baseball, doesn't it? Yes, Inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. Now, this week, of course, it is all about the business, and the business is a new contract for below-the-line film and television workers, the, oh gosh, I should have, it's like the International Association of Theater and Stage Engineers or something like that. It's IATSE is the way it's, everybody knows it. It's basically your grips, your gaffers, your, your camera operators, your cinematographers, your, I mean, you name it, except for Teamsters, they're probably represented by IATSE. It's the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Oh, and, and, more, more, and more broadly, wrong. theatrical stage employees, moving picture technicians, artists, and allied crafts of the United States, its territories, and Canada, known simply as IATSE. <laughs> and I can tell you where that came from. That is from Wikipedia because I read that earlier uh, this week as well. They have about 150,000 people in this alliance. Uh, so that's cool to see. More details have emerged about the contract deal, none of which dramatically reshape our opinion. We still don't know exactly, at least I don't think I know, about what was happening with the how much closer they got to full pay on streaming shows. You know, they and have that a was kind of important. Con- yeah, that was the big, the big one. So. Just just to recap really quickly, it's, so it's all these, the union representing all of these workers, uh, their contract expired with the AMPTP. The AMPTP is representing networks and studios because, of course, the studios and networks can't all get together and and negotiate a contract with that. See, that would be, uh, you know, collusion. Naughty. Yeah, antitrust. So they basically say, hey, uh, AMPTP, you're a union representing producers. You, you go negotiate it and we'll just kind of comply with whatever you guys do deal with well of course all the streaming services said oh we're so young we don't know whether this streaming thing will take off we have no idea yeah well it took off so frankly those productions should be paying the same rate for gaffers grips etc as motion pictures being shot for theatrical release in my opinion Hmm. exactly i or or network television yeah, or network television. Yeah, correct. Uh, so I think, in a way, the, the it, it would really be hard for all of these companies to come out and say, "Well, we're still we're still unprofitable." Well, that's your problem that you're paying too much for marketing and and all well, of the I, other stuff. To, that's your problem. Just because you're unprofitable doesn't mean you couldn't be profitable. And so the second this all began, we heard a lot of blowback that while the deal was made and we were glad there wasn't a strike, there was a lot of online chatter of people saying they're very unhappy. And if they don't have a contract for streamers that is basically identical, I don't see it why it shouldn't be 100%. I don't see why it would be 90 or 80%. It should be the same damn amount. So if it's anything less than that, I can understand why they're unhappy. But the word we're getting is that most of the groups representing different segments of IATSE, most of the smaller unions, if that's the way to put it, who are part of this alliance, will call on their members to support the final deal. 
Okay, so like the International Cinematographers Guild it's, is a part of this. Right, I believe. exactly. I believe. So, yeah. so all those different groups look like they are getting behind the deal and will support it. And that brings us to this accidental death on the set of Rust starring Alec Baldwin. Uh, how are these stories related? Now, cinematographer Helena Hutchins uh, died over the weekend, and director Joel Souza was injured enough to have to go to the hospital. Happily, he is out now. But this all happened during a scene involving a prop firearm. It's a disaster. It's a tragedy. It's a nightmare. Nobody should die because you're making a movie. Even stunt well, people. Nobody should get paralyzed or die because you're making a film. So this is really a disaster. But how are these two stories linked? Well, I feel like... When you don't have a good contract, when you're working 16-hour days, you're working six days a week, you're working till four in the morning, they work you through lunch. It's not just about claiming, well, somebody was too tired and they pushed them too far and that's why this happened. Because we don't know why or how it happened yet. Details are still emerging. But when you have no respect and you are overworked and you, f- you feel like you can't even raise your hand to say, I'd like to have lunch, please. <laughs> you yeah. know, I would like to have lunch or a 15-minute break, please. And you're not getting that and you don't feel like you're respected enough or have enough authority to do that. You're not going to have a set that's happy and working well or safe. And uh, that's I don't think that's a stretch to say without blaming anything on overwork or tiredness. But we do know some stuff now, like people did walk off this set. People quit their job on this movie. That doesn't happen very often. I know lots of people who work on movies. You people don't just quit. That is a huge thing for four people to walk away from this movie in the middle of the shoot and say, we are quitting because we're not happy with the working conditions. That's for whatever they were complaining about. That's pretty remarkable. That doesn't happen very much. So, yeah, Reed Russell, who was a camera operator, said, look, I had a lot of work to do that day. One of the, you know, camera, you know, a bunch of I think it was six camera uh, assistants or camera operators quit because they were uh, upset. Uh, overpayment and where they were right. being housed. They, they weren't so they getting qu- the housing. They were, they were having to drive 50 miles or 50 minutes away uh, you, when they were told that they should have been there nearby. That didn't come through. Uh, those things happen on Indy. And on, I assume this was a union film. Alec Baldwin's on it. Of course it's a union film, but yeah, that's not a good sign. Is it? No, not at all. Uh, and so of course, you know, just uh, for those who haven't, who don't know, uh, this was a, you know, Alec Baldwin was rehearsing a scene in which it's a Western. So he had a gun. He was doing what, uh, you know, a cross, uh, you know, pull where he pulled the gun from the opposite side and the gun went off. Uh, he was, everybody do, was do told. Do we know all the details of exactly what he was doing when? These, I feel this like is we all don't in even... affidavits. This is all in affidavits now in a uh, search right. warrant affidavits. Uh, they were told, you know, uh, that it was a cold gun. Uh, however, the gun may have been left on set during lunch with nobody watching it. So, again, this part is where people are they're still trying to narrow down where was the gun, et cetera. But just to kind of recap about guns on sets, they are real guns, okay? They are not, not always, not always, not always, not always, but most of the time. They I are don't real know about guns. I don't know that. I don't think that's I, true. I, I, you know, I do happen to know that they are real guns uh, in most instances that are used with uh, very special bullets that are don't fire anything. So basically you hear the explosion, you see the puff of smoke, and there's no actual projectile. Uh, and those bullets look very, very different from the uh, normal bullets. 
Uh, and so there were all of these stories now about this that, so I might be repeating things people now know, because of course the New York times, LA times, CNN, MSNBC, Fox news, they all did specials with prop masters and firearm specialists who work on sets talking about the difference in bullets, talking about how guns are used and how, and, and, you know, a lot of the firearms, the property masters, they're shocked that this could happen because when there is a gun on set, there are very special rules about it. You, number one, you never point the gun at oh. another human being. That's what well, they, they do all the time in films. They do all yeah, the time. That's we see people why, pointing, right. So I don't think we should get into this. Let's not let's not fabulate what we think might have happened or gone wrong so oh, we you know, have no we idea know brandon what... lee was killed by a dummy round on the set of the crow we Correct. know there are live guns meaning guns with even dummy rounds is considered a live gun it's not Correct. you know it's not that they have actual bullets but there are live gun is not the same as saying a gun with ammo that you would use on a shooting range or if you're a cop or someone like that or going hunting but we know something went tragically wrong and we know that there are live guns putting live in quotes on the sets all the time like you say and one thing that's come out of this is that abc's the rookie has banned live guns on their set forever and the family of brandon lee has called for all sets to do the same forever like there's no need to have a gun with even a dummy round there has to be a better way to shoot action scenes than having dummy rounds or discharges of those or having guns that could in any way shape or form ever discharge anything that was remotely real like there's no need for that you don't need that on a set there has to be way in special effects and sound to do something different than having a gun that could even potentially accidentally have a round even a dummy round that could hurt someone so yeah you if know, that can so change it should yeah, and Jeffrey Wright, who is an actor, who's mm-hmm. been in James Bond, you know, he was in a James Bond movie and he's a, Westworld. He's a, he's a huge star. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, he was asked about this because, you know, he was on Westworld and he said, uh, you know, that they, they were obviously pretty shocked. He says, I don't recall ever being handed a weapon that was not cleared in front of me, meaning chamber open, barrel shown to me, light flashed inside the barrel to make sure it was cleared clearly this was a mismanaged set. That was from Jeffrey. That's a quote from Jeffrey Wright. And right. you said but again, he's, he's, he's not there. Right. Exactly. Right. Obviously and something went wrong. Somebody's dead, but right. But yes. And, again. and how are these, how are these two, two stories, the IATSE uh, contract and the, because it's all about onset safety and yeah. whether you're driving home after an 18 hour day, which is, you know, after a 16 hour day and after a 14 hour day where you started falling behind early in the week and you just got more tired and the sets ran, you know, the days ran longer and longer. And then you're driving home and you fall asleep. That's not safe. Even though it doesn't right. happen on set, a car accident, you know, because somebody's tired, that's, on set right. safety. Yeah. And they had 50 minute commute when they thought they were going to be nearby. So that's, that's a big difference at the end of the workday. Having to drive for 50 minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. A lot of people have to drive home, you know, 50 minutes or an hour or an hour and a half a day, but they're also not on a set where people's lives can be in danger. And they're also not, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, they're, 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 they're not in this industry there should be rules and regulations. You know, it's, it's, it's a dangerous, difficult job and it's a, just a terrible, terrible thing. What did you think of the, the pictures of Alec Baldwin, who obviously distraught well, of being, course. being taken of him outside the police station? Uh, I, did, I haven't seen one of them. I don't, I don't, I don't watch okay. I don't watch TV, so why? I mean, do you think he should not have been, you know, if he's outside in public, they're going to, news people are going to be over him like, you know, nothing to take his picture, of course. It's, yeah, it was uh, only one. I wouldn't one. do it. That's why I don't make a job doing that, but, okay. you know. 
you're feeding on misery. It's her family's misery, his misery. Uh, it, 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 certainly, I'm not going to blame him no matter what happened. But, it, you know, so it's just a just an awful situation. Uh, but it should not happen, and something needs to change because there's no excuse for any gun on a set that could fire a live round. Why the hell would there be a gun on the set that could fire a live round? It doesn't seem necessary. Isn't there a better way you can do it? Yeah, somebody should invent one that that makes the sound blows the puff of smoke and uh and looks real and in no way has a a a uh, barrel you know that has doesn't have a doesn't doesn't discharge bullets yeah exactly <laughs> of any kind yeah yeah well uh it's that's sadly also the beginning of our obituary section so uh Helena Hutchins has gotten a lot of praise. She's a female cinematographer. She broke through in an industry where there aren't a lot of female cinematographers. She was had lots of shorts to her credit, just working her way up. Obviously, now she's on a on an Alec Baldwin film, so that was cool to see. And what a shame that her career was cut short. Uh, I can't imagine anything like that being comfort to her family. But hopefully, something good can come out of it. But other people also died this week, including composer and arranger Ralph Carmichael. He died at the age of ninety-four. I recognize the name because I'm. I'm a nut for Christmas music. He's a longtime arranger for Nat King Cole, and I didn't know this, a major figure in Christian music circles. Uh, he broke into TV where he did incidental music for I Love Lucy. That's a nice credit. And then a host of other shows. He earned cult classic status for uh, writing the theme song to my sitcom, my theme song, to the sitcom, My Mother the Car, one of the most famous flops of all time. A kid, a guy's mom comes back reincarnated as a car. And his other big cult classic is the Steve McQueen monster movie, The Blob. It's a goofy film and it has a goofy theme song, but that was written by Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Bizarre to imagine that, but he did a very cool score for that movie. Not a very good movie, but it's a cult movie, and it's got a, actually quite a good score. But he then went on to be an arranger for lots of people. He did TV specials for Bing Crosby. He did the song Born Free. But his most important collaboration in popular music was with Nat King Cole. He did like he's the one arranger more associated with Nat King Cole than anybody else. And he even did his Christmas album and arranged the definitive version of the Christmas song. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire is the first line of that song written by Mel Torme. But little did I know, his biggest legacy is in contemporary Christian music. He wrote more than 300 songs in that genre, including modern standards like He's Everything to Me. And in fact, his nickname is the father of contemporary Christian music. Who knew? I didn't know that there was a, you know, a father of, where's the mother of contemporary Christian music? <laughs> now, when I saw this next person in our obituary se uh, section, I didn't actually see him in the, in the obituary section. I saw that Jerry Pinckney had died, and I thought, oh, well, that person is definitely going to be in, in our rundown next week. I can't imagine Michael Giltz not putting him in. Well, right. Well, what made you say that? Because of seeing what his career was or how important yeah, he was? Yeah, because or he's, was he's a, a very well-known illustrator for children's books. That's right. He's a legend and a multiple award winner. He's also a person of color who made a big breakthrough in children's books where that wasn't the norm back in the day. Uh, he made a lot of his money doing illustrations for advertising, but throughout yeah. his career, uh, Jerry Pinkney blazed a trail by illustrating stories by and about black people and people of color, especially offering positive portrayals of black families and people where few or none existed before. He started strong in 1964 with The Adventures of Spider. West African Tales, 
by Joyce Cooper Arkhurst, and he never looked back. He did the cover of the classic novel, Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry. Your kids may probably were assigned that in school at one point. He did the first stamps in the Black Heritage series for the U.S. Postal Service, album covers for RCA Records, historical calendars for Seagram's, and so many books from Uncle Remus Tales of Julius Lester to recent gems like The Lion and the Mouse. A great, long, distinguished career. So did uh, Oscar winner Leslie. How do you pronounce the? Leslie oh, B- I should have looked that up. Rikus. I don't know how to say that. I, I, they, 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 he died at ninety, uh, yeah. but he was a, a songwriter, an Oscar winner. He said, "You know, I guess last week he said, stop the world. I want to get off.'" Well, that's the name actually of the show he collaborated on with songwriter Anthony Newley. That made their name together and separately. And Brikus went on to deliver songs and scores for all sorts of projects. He won an Oscar for Talk to the Animals from Dr. Doolittle. He scored big hits when Sammy Davis covered that song and What Kind of Fool Am I from Stop the World and The Candyman from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. He also did the songs in Willy Wonka, the classic with Gene Wilder. And he wrote the greatest James Bond theme song of all time. Sorry, Adele. You've got your new number one hit. I'm not going to go easy on you, though. The best James Bond theme song of all time is Goldfinger. And then he capped off his career with the classic movie musical Victor Victoria, starring Julie Andrews, which actually began in the movies and ended up on Broadway. So he started on Broadway and he ended up on Broadway. A pretty good career. And Victor Victoria is so great. I love that movie. It's really a charmer. I will forgive him for the song I've Got a Golden Ticket from Willy Wonka, which is just... Oh, my God, it's so bad. I've got a golden ticket. I've got a golden ticket. It's like, ah, not since that Disney Peter Pan has there been such a bad, bad, like, follow the leader from Peter Pan. Oh, what a dreadful song. But everybody's got a little stinker in them every once in a while. But a great, distinguished career for Leslie Precus. Well, now, uh, The Candyman, which you mentioned, is that was kind of Sammy Davis's theme song. He would always, like... Yeah, it was one of his big hits, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And now, if this name sounds familiar, it's because uh, you probably recognize uh, him as an actor from Bosom Buddies or the Bob Newhart show. uh, And well, I guess it was Newhart was Newhart. Yes. Yes. Uh, And girls and girls. Most recently, Peter Scolari. He died at the age of 66 after a two-year battle with cancer. That sucks. He scored his Emmy on the Lena Dunham series Girls. He played her dad, but his career stretched back decades. Yeah, he and Tom Hanks. Dumb show. Stupid show. I think I was 12 or 10. I was like, this is a dumb show. But they were kind of so affable and charming about it. These two guys dressing up as women so they could get a rent-subsidized apartment in New York City. I know how they feel. <laughs> like I, I would have done it too. That's what it meant. And so, but they just were so amiable and fun about it that the stupidity of the show, they really transcended it. It lasted for two seasons, which is about one season and 13 episodes longer than it deserved. But he, he worked forever after that, including, of course, the legendary Bob Newhart. He worked on Bob Newhart's sitcom Newhart set in New England. And then recently, a lot of stuff, Girls, Fosse Verdon miniseries. And he also appeared on Broadway. He had a stint in Hairspray and a reteaming with Tom Hanks on the Nora Ephron play Lucky Guy. So he was a lucky guy. And cancer, though, is a bastard. James Michael Tyler of Friends died at the age of 59. He was the seventh friend on Friends, the hanger-on. He played the waiter or barista or whatever he was, Gunther on the sitcom, and he died at the age of 59. He died of prostate cancer. In fact, one reason he only appeared on Zoom in that Friends reunion special, he was going to be able to be on the set with them, but he was already dying with cancer, and he thought, I don't, you know, I don't really want to show up. And be like, hi, oh, yeah, I'm dying. 
You know, that would kind of kill the buzz, he thought. And so he just appeared on video screen so he could say hi and have a, a little bit of participation in that. But he has spent the last three years of his life urging people to get checked, go for a checkup, get a prostate uh, checkup. It doesn't have to be invasive anymore. You can do it with blood work and there's stuff you can do at home. Talk to your doctor now. Uh, so it's a much simpler process than it used to be. My dad had prostate cancer and colon cancer. Colon cancer killed him uh, to a degree. And I finally was able to get some health care, thank God. Uh, and I went and got a checkup and I'm clean and clear. My numbers look good for prostate. And we'll know better next year if the numbers don't move or change too much. But it is really a weight off your mind once you go get checked. You're a woman, you get checked for breast cancer, for everything else. You're a man, prostate and colon cancer. Everybody needs to get checked. So, you know, if so, any good so can come so out that- of it. So much so that when uh, I I got a, a COVID test recently, uh, I'm negative, by the way. Uh, uh, and you know the you could just tell that the my my primary care physician, who I haven't seen in about a year, uh, actually right. maybe even before COVID, uh, you know there there's these like uh, cut and paste responses like, hey, just wanted to let you know your COVID test came back negative, and I see that you're and they must have like you know check boxes over fifty. You know, uh, it's over a certain age. Right. Insert, insert, insert uh, prostate exam. <laughs> Just <Yep. laughs> like the the little t- tag of like you, uh, given your age, you should be worried about X, Y, Z. You should come in for a prostate exam. You should get a colonoscopy. I was like, wow, like they just like immediately just like defaulted to that. But there Which is a is new blood. It's a good there thing. Isn't, there is a new uh, uh, test you can do that is not invasive that you can do at home. You can talk to your doctor. I'm at high risk, so I get tested every five years with a blood exam to do something serious. But if you're not at high risk, you can maybe even just get away with a home test that you can get at your you know, at your pharmacy and you know, talk to your doctor about it. So it doesn't have to be the fearsome, you know digital exam that you may be thinking about that's kind of antiquated and out of date anyway it's so stupid to think you could remember what it was like a year ago you know it's just it's not a very good exam and they've kind of moved away from that and there's things you can do at home it's very simple and easy so you know embrace that if you've got health care coverage you're one of the lucky ones make use of it Yes, indeed. And you're really lucky if you get to subscribe to us in, say, iTunes, the Google Play Store. It's not the Google Play Store anymore. It's something else. It's like the Google Podcast Store or something. Uh, We're on Microsoft, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find us. And if you can't find us there, let us know and we'll fix that problem because that's a huge problem. Uh, Somebody, you know, somebody needs to Go go to HR and and have words. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you know, please do subscribe to us, rate and review us on any one of those podcast aggregators where where they allow it. It helps us out when you do that. Uh, now, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, as well as links to all of those ways to subscribe to us, they can be found on our own website, showbizsandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to contact us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. I should also say that we are on. Uh, voicemail. I guess we're on voicemail. 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. Now, here's what I should say. We are on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. Now, they can be found on whoismgmt.com, where you can find all of their Twitter and Facebook and, and tour information. Michael Giltz can be found online. And every week, it's something new and exciting. What website do you have for us this week, Michael? 
<laughs> Still trying to find out if it's available. I'm at JewsInSpace.com, <laughs> but uh, it might be taken. I don't know. It's taken forever to clear. Uh, so maybe it's there. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it's available. Well, while you find that out, everybody should go to MichaelGiltz.com, where all of your coverage of the entertainment industry can be found. Some of my work can be found on CelluloidJunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. Still loading. The Jews are so far away in space that, oi, the connection, it's terrible. You'll have to get back to us later. They're in the desert. What do you want from them? We're wandering. We're wandering. Sorry, Mel.